But before I do that, I want to uh, I, I just make a, a real quick comment. I, last week, uh, last Saturday night, my son sent me a, uh, a text about uh, Kanye, uh, Kanye West and also uh, Jimmy Kimmel. And so I, I clicked on it and I watched the interview. Uh, and it was really exciting, really exciting to see how Kanye West has recently made a commitment to Christ. And it's been interesting to kind of watch people and how they interact and how they think about this. And, um, and first of all, it doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't surprise me that God would save someone like Kanye West. It does not surprise me at all. And I'll tell you why it doesn't surprise me. It's because God saved someone like me. Okay? Uh, because I know that God saved me, it doesn't take a lot of imagination for me to understand how God can save someone else. Uh, the other thing is this, is that, that I've noticed with a few people... Uh, a few people have been somewhat skeptical about the conversion of Kanye West. And I would just like to remind you, I'd like to remind you, a lot of people were skeptical about the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Did you know that? A lot of people were like, oh, I don't believe it. can't be real. It's not true. Uh, and, and Joy was the one who, who reminded me of this week, is, that, is that, that people were skeptical of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And, uh, but as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're really not called to be skeptical. We're called to be people who are faithful, full of faith. And we're called to be people who are prayerful. And, you know, one thing I will say about a young believer is that, that really being in the limelight, uh, limelight a lot is hard for someone who is a really mature believer who's been following Jesus for a very, very long time. And so with someone who's a brand-new baby Christian with the spotlight on them all the time, you know, you shouldn't be surprised if, if Kanye West trips and falls from time to time. And you know why you shouldn't be surprised? Because we do, exactly, exactly. And so what we need to do is, is not so much we need to question him as much as we need to really pray for him. The way we would pray for anyone else, he's a brand-new baby Christian. But I'm excited about that. I'm excited about his recent conversion, and uh, I just think it's kind of cool. I, I, I really do. Uh, I think it's cool when anybody gets saved, uh, regardless of what your station in life is, where you come from. Uh, that, to me, is just, you know, it's one of those things that really excites me. Uh, I want to take a couple of moments. I want to just kind of bring you up to speed on a couple of things. First of all, I want to commend you for your generosity. Uh, one of the things I love about Solana Valley Church, and I've talked with different friends of mine who are pastors of churches about this before, is I feel like our church is, is an extremely generous Church, And when I talk about generosity, I mean that you really give generously of yourselves to love one another, to serve one another, but you also are really generous financially. And over the last couple of years, you guys have been extremely generous in the way that you've given, uh, not just to support the ongoing ministries of Salina Valley Church, but also how you've given uh, with our Next Step campaign and putting some money away for a future purchase of a, of a building, and I really appreciate that. Uh, at the same time, I need to kind of bring you up to speed. In the month of October, we had kind of a down month financially in our giving. Now, I, this is not a panic. This is not, oh, no, we're going to crash and burn. This is not like that. But the reason I tell you right now is because if we have, every church has bad months from time to time. It's just kind of, it's what churches do. I mean, they have really good months, and occasionally they'll have a bad month. The reason that I tell you about it now is because if we have one bad month and then we had a second bad month, and I come to you after two bad months and you say, why didn't you tell us after the first month? Uh, I'm going to tell you right up front, kind of this is where we're at. 
Now, I'm not asking anybody to give any more than what you're already giving. I'm not, I'm not asking that. That's not the purpose of this. The purpose is simply to put it in front of you, to let you know about it. And the purpose in doing that is so that you, uh, as a follower of Jesus, can be praying for your church. If this is your home church, I'd like you to pray about it. Just pray that God will continue to be faithful in his provision. And if God puts it on your heart to give, that's fine. That's between you and God. Uh, one thing I will ask you to do is this time of year, uh, because it's now November, between uh, the, the beginning of November and the end of December, it's not uncommon for people to get lots of solicitations to give special end-of-the-year giving. And so if you haven't received a lot already, I have. I don't know about you. But if you haven't received a lot already, you probably will. And what I would encourage you to do is if you consider Solana Valley to be your home church and you're really praying and thinking about some kind of special end-of-the-year giving, I would ask you as your pastor to pray and think about your, your church. Okay, I'd like to ask you to do that. Uh, today, what we're going to do is uh, we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians. And uh, today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And it's very interesting. As you read and you study through 1 Corinthians, uh, it, it's, it's like uh, it, it just kind of goes all over the place. I mean, it addresses a lot of different kinds of issues because the church in Corinth had a lot of different kinds of problems. And so part of what we've addressed over the last few weeks, we've been talking a little bit about what the Bible says about sex. And hopefully one of the things you've heard from me is that God is not down on sex, but he does have a plan for us, and he, there is a way that he wants us to do this. Now, the, the tr- truth is, anytime you talk about sex, you're, you're, you're sure to step on someone's toes. Okay? You are. I mean, if I haven't stepped on your toes the last few weeks, either you haven't been here, or I've preached perfectly, you know, or you have zero problems, okay? Uh, the other thing, the other thing that is bound to step on someone's toes is when I talk about money, okay? But the thing is, the Bible talks about money. And because the Bible talks about money, as your pastor, I have to talk about money, and I have to preach to you what the Bible says to it. And in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul addresses that. But, but 1 Corinthians 9 uh, is about a lot more than money. 1 Corinthians 9 is really a lot more about attitudes. It's about attitudes, about how we think about freedom, how we think about our rights, how we think about the freedom, the rights of other people. And it's also about how we think about authority. And uh, so there's a lot of things here in 1 Corinthians 9. And so what we want to do is we want to look, we want to think about how should we think about our rights and freedom as Christians? How should we think about the rights and freedom of others? How should we think about authority in the church? And then how should this kind of thinking uh, and this kind of, these kinds of attitudes and practices uh, affect us uh, with, 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 with how we think about money? Um, in preparing for this message, I did something. And, and what I did was I, I looked up uh, some of the highest paid pastors uh, in, in America. And I came up with this list of, of pastors, and when I began to see how much money some pastors make, I was just, I was blown away. I was. I mean, I, I, I read it, and I began to, to look at it, and, uh, and, and I, when I saw how much money some pastors make, I just thought, really? Really? We really pay people that much money to be ministers of the gospel? But in the list, I saw one guy 
who, and, and a lot of the guys who were on the list, they were a part of the prosperity gospel movement. Uh, but I, I looked and I saw one name that really stood out to me. And the one name that stood out to me was a guy named Rick Warren. Um, and I'll tell you why Rick Warren st- stood out to me. It wasn't how much money he made. It was how much money he gave. I don't know if you know this. Rick Warren, every year, gives away 90% of what he makes. He gives away 90% of what he makes to, uh, uh, to promote the gospel, the expansion of the gospel, to, uh, to alleviate uh, the suffering of the poor, and to help people in education. And when I read that, I just kind of, it was, for me, it was just like, that was pretty awesome. That was pretty cool. And one of the things I've heard Rick Warren say for many, many years, I, I met Rick Warren a couple of times and, and met him when I was a young pastor, but one of the things that, that, that uh, I have heard him say through the years is that God doesn't give us more to, uh, uh, to enlarge our standard of living, but to enlarge our standard of giving. But what I find really helpful and exciting is seeing how he's put that to practice in, in his life. Uh, the other thing I saw as I was researching this, I also looked to see what were, you know, how do other churches pay their pastors. And if some churches really overpay their pastors, some churches really underpay their pastors. Okay? Now, I'm not complaining. I'm not asking for a raise. None of that. But what I want to look at is I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to look at what did it mean for the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, but I also want us to talk about what does it mean for us today. Because if we don't get there, then we we haven't really uh, gotten into the Scriptures. Uh, If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapters 8, 9, and 10. Paul's been talking to the Corinthians about our rights and about our freedoms. And one of the things that Paul says is be careful, be careful that you do not exercise your rights in a way that causes other people to stumble. Be careful not to use your freedom in such a way that it hampers other people in their walk with Jesus. And in chapter 9, he says this, He says, am I not free? He's beginning to talk about his freedom. He's been talking to the Corinthians about their freedom. Now he's going to talk about his freedom. He's been talking to the Corinthians about their rights. Now he's going to talk about his rights. But I want you to see where he goes with all of this. Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who examine me. There were some people who were criticizing Paul. There were some people who were accusing him of certain things. And Paul says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Paul says, 
Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard uh, without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Paul is now speaking and he's saying, hey, I, I just gave you several examples from everyday life. I've talked to you about the soldier. I've talked to you about the one who cares for a vineyard. I've talked to you about the shepherd. And he says, am I only speaking to you uh, on human authority? Does not the law, the Old Testament scriptures, say the same? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Is that who God's concerned about? Is he concerned about oxen? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake, says Paul, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of what? Of sharing in the crop. If, you have, if we have sown spiritual seeds among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Never, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, says Paul. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use, says Paul, of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is, is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward, asked Paul? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more, more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body 
and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. God, my prayer today is that you would help me, help us, to humbly receive the word implanted. God, help us to think um, in a way that's really healthy about authority. Help us to think in a way that's really healthy about money. Help us to think in a way that's really healthy about how we think about our freedom and our rights. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. There's a lot of stuff here. There's a lot of stuff here. And, and so what I want to do is I want to try to simplify this as much as I can. Okay? Can I do that? Uh, two things. Two things I want to share with you. The first one is this, is that, that churches should fairly compensate ministers with the gospel. I think that's a clear teaching of God's word. All right? I, th- I think that, that, that part of what we see in this is Paul is saying, you know, when Paul asked the question, you know, he, he asked some questions here. He says, am I not free? Am I not a, an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Uh, and then he goes on in verse 3. He says, uh, he, he, talks about, um, he talks about, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles? And the brothers of Jesus and of Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who, uh, who have to refrain from working for a living? You know, the, the point that, that Paul is making here is that, that a pastor or a minister of the gospel should receive fair compensation. Okay? I, I just think that's the, the, the basic point that we have here. And, and, and I see this in, in, in four different things, four different things. First of all, Paul speaks from human experience. He speaks from human experience. And what, what he does is he, he asks three quick questions, three quick rhetorical questions, each of them anticipating the same answer. He asks this question, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Anybody know any soldiers? Okay. Anybody here ever been in the military? Could you imagine going? Yeah, right. We got one back here, pilot. Could you imagine going to war? Could you imagine getting shot at? Could you imagine spending your your day getting other people trying to kill you? By the way, you get no paycheck. You have to pay for your own armor. You have to pay for your own weapons, and you do it all on your own expense. Okay. And Paul says, uh, "Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without?" eating any of its fruit. Now, we live around a lot of, a vineyard, a lot of vineyards in our, where we live. Imagine the care it takes to take care of a vineyard. I, I, you know what? I, I, love, I, love, I love riding my bike out in the vineyards. I do. I, just, I love it. I love being able to enjoy the vineyards without having to do all the work. <laughs> yeah, I used to think I wanted to live on a vineyard, and I thought, no, no, no. I just want to live close to them and ride my bike out there. Because if you own a vineyard, you've got to do all the work. But imagine doing all the work here for a vineyard and not getting paid for it. Um, who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Now imagine this. Imagine having to tend a flock. Uh, by the way, that includes shoveling manure, okay? Imagine that you're doing all of this work, tending for a flock. By the way, I, I've, I've never tended a flock. I don't know how much work is involved. I just know one of my heroes when I, when I was a kid was a guy named Ochunga Padaiti. And when Rochunga Padaiti was a, a, a little kid, he grew up in India. He grew up in northeastern India, and, and as a little boy, uh, he went away to boarding school, and the way that he was able to go to school, he was 10 years old, 
the way he was able to go to school is he had to live with the family, and his job while he lived with the family was every morning he had to go out and milk the cows, and every morning he'd get up four hours before school, and he had spent four hours milking, milking the cows. Then he would go to school just like your 10-year-old, okay? Just like your 10-year-old. But this 10-year-old spent four hours milking cows before he went to school just like our 10-year-olds did, okay? And then after school, you know what he did? He came back, and he spent four hours milking cows. Now, there's a lot of work tending a flock. There's a lot of work tending cattle. And imagine having to do all that work but not even being able to enjoy the milk. And what Paul's saying is, hey, you know what? There's a lot of work with being a minister of the gospel. Contrary to popular opinion, pastors don't work one hour a week, okay? Uh, There's a lot of work that goes into being a, a minister of the gospel. And part of what Paul is driving at is he's saying, you know, just common sense. Everyday life teaches us that the worker is worthy of his wages, and then Paul says, you know, but am I only speaking from this place of human authority? Does not the Old Testament scriptures, the law, say the same thing? And what he does is he references back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, where uh, the, the Old Testament law tells, would instruct those who, uh, who got their living from, from farming how to care for their oxen. And part of what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 25 is that you should not muzzle an ox while it's threshing grain. In other words, the ox should be allowed to eat as it works. And then Paul asked this rhetorical question. Is it oxen that God is really concerned about? Is he only speaking to us about oxen, or is he speaking to us about life? And then Paul says, he is speaking to us as well. Uh, He's saying that... uh, He says, it is written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope, the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And then what Paul does is he looks at uh, the care of the temple, and he looks at those who bring offerings uh, to the Lord as a part of the, the Old Testament worship. And Paul talks about how the priests in the Old Testament would receive uh, compensation, that they would eat the food of the temple, and that they would receive a portion of the sacrifices that they offered. And then finally what Paul does is in verse 14, and and what what Paul is doing and what he's driving at in this, what he's driving at uh, in, in, in verse 14, it's kind of like the capstone of what he's saying here. In verse 14 he says, In the same way, The Lord, who's the Lord? King Jesus. All right? The Lord is the one who came, who lived, who died, who rose again, who's been exalted to the right hand of God the Father, the Lord. Okay? The one who spoke the word and created the heavens and the earth. And what the Lord said is this. The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And this is a a loose quotation of the words of Jesus that we see recorded in Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, also uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 7, where where Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, says says that the worker is worthy of his wages. And basically what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is he's saying the worker 
is worthy of his wages. But when Paul was speaking to them, he was speaking to them at a very, very personal level. You guys, I'm hugely grateful about the way you compensate me. I do. I mean, if anything, if our giving gave up, what I would love to do is I'd love to, um, I, to not so much take a, a I, I, I don't want a raise, but I would love to be able to give a raise to like Matt and to our other staff. That I would love to do that. So what we're talking about today, this is not me complaining about how I'm compensated, but the truth is for Paul is they were giving him absolutely nothing. They were despising the one who had brought them the gospel, and they were despising his authority as an apostle. And then what Paul does is he says this in verse 15. In verse 15, he says, people, this isn't about me getting any kind of provision from you. Verse 15, he says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. He said, I'm not talking to you about this, so you'll increase your giving to me. That's not what this is about. For I would rather die, he says, than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. He says, because the necessity is laid upon me. I was drafted to the task of preaching the gospel when I was trying to destroy it. Paul was one who was, he was taking Christians, he was arresting them, he was throwing them into jail. He was opposing Jesus. He was opposing the gospel. And then Jesus comes, knocks Paul off his horse, blinds him, and then tells him, Paul, you're my chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. It's like, you know, it's like if you could think of a person who was the least likely to be a missionary, if you could think of a person who was the most unlikely to be a minister of the gospel, that's the person that God chose for this purpose. And so what Paul was saying is, he was saying, hey, you know what, I have a holy obligation given to me uh, by God. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For Paul to not proclaim the gospel was worse than death. He was like, I mean, woe is me if I don't preach it. Uh, For if I do this, preach the gospel of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will... I'm still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel? You see, what Paul delighted in wasn't money. What Paul delighted in was proclaiming the gospel. So this is what I'm going to tell you. If churches should fairly compensate their pastors, then pastors should joyfully proclaim the gospel, even if they have to do it at great sacrifice. Does that make sense? So I want to ask and I want to answer a question for you real quick, all right? Um, How do you determine how you should compensate a pastor of a church? Is it okay for me to raise this question? I mean, I, I think it's kind of pertinent. I think it's kind of pertinent in the text. I think it's kind of pertinent in our world today. Uh, uh, five questions. Number one, what does the Bible teach? 
what we should do is we shouldn't look at the practice primarily. I think what happens is when churches are trying to figure out how to pay their pastor, they look at what do other, other churches do, okay? And I would say the first place we should look is not necessarily to the practice of other churches. I think the first, I mean, if we do that, if we do that, just part of the reason why I was telling you about my looking and, and researching how, how pastors are paid is that if we look at what other churches are doing, we can find a lot of really gross abuses. We can find examples of where pastors are way overpaid, and we can find examples of where pastors are way underpaid. And I'm going to say the very first place we should look when we think about the compensation of a minister of the gospel is not to the practices of others, but to the teaching of Scripture. Number two, what's the median household income of your community? Now, I really believe a pastor should not make a lot more than what other people in this community make. I don't believe that. And I don't believe a pastor should make a lot less. Now, you may ask me, well, Gary, where do you find biblical justification for that? Okay, I, I, I can't really say uh, it's in the Scriptures, except that what I can say is by analogy. What does Paul do when he talks about the compensation of a minister of the gospel? Who does he compare it with? He talks about a soldier not serving at his own expense. He talks about a farmer keeping a vineyard. He talks about a shepherd caring for the flock. And I think part of what the Bible is telling us here is that probably a pastor's compensation should look kind of like the people he's working with. Are you working with soldiers? Are you working with shepherds? Are you working with, uh, with farmers? With, with, uh, I, I think that, that you know, it, a pastor should not make a lot more uh, than, that, than what the median household income is in this community, and I don't think you should make a lot less either. Um, <clears throat> I think fourth, I'm skipping to number three. Um, actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and hit it. How much would you pay any other person with similar experience, education, and responsibility? I would just look and think, okay, who else in our community does a work that's similar to a pastor? Now, this is a really hard one to do because with a pastor, sometimes the work of a pastor is a little bit like a college professor. When you prepare a message, it's not like preparing, I don't know, it, it's a lesson plan, but it might be similar to what you would have like at a junior college or a college. So sometimes his work may look like a professor. Sometimes his work may look like a therapist. You may be sitting down with a person or with people in crisis, talking with them, trying to give them counseling. Uh, but sometimes the work of a pastor looks a little bit like uh, the owner of a small business that you have to care for, you have to look after the overall business of the church. So really, the work of a pastor really is not like, it's, it really takes kind of a unique skill set, okay? Uh, is it, that it looks like a lot of different things. So how much would you pay any other person with similar experience, education, responsibility? Number four, what's the practice... You know how I just said the first place I wouldn't look is the practice of other churches? Number four, what is the practice of other churches? What's the practice of other churches? However, however, let me say it this way. What is the practice of healthy churches? Okay? So what we want to look at is we don't want to look at those churches who are paying their pastors an exorbitant salary. Nor do we want to look at, at, at churches where their pastors and their families are living 
below the median house, household income of their community in a way that it, 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 is, it puts a lot of pressure on the pastor and a lot of pressure on his family. If, I have a friend of mine. I have a friend of mine, Tom Justice. Tom's a great guy, great guy. I uh, went to school with him. Uh, very talented, very, very gifted Bible teacher. Uh, we were in grad school together. And, um, and I remember we had, were talking. This was a, a few years ago. We were talking on the phone. And he was sharing with me a little bit about, uh, a little bit about his ministry and, and where he lived. And he began to share with me some of the financial struggles that they were struggling with. And where other kids were able to buy, uh, have nice clothes that they bought at department stores, they had to go to a Goodwill store to buy their clothes. Where other women were able to go to have their hair cared for and stuff like that, his wife wasn't able to do those kinds of things. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking, you know, that's just not, I mean, if it, I, I think that that's not really healthy. I really don't. I, I don't think that a pastor should be living at a lower level than other people in his church or the community, nor should he be living a lot higher either. Um, I got off track. What's the practice of other churches, but not just other churches, but healthy churches? And then finally, uh, how much can we realistically afford? I do think, ultimately, we have to ask the question of how much can we really afford? And if a church cannot fairly compensate its pastor for the community you live in, I think you just have to openly acknowledge it. You have to say, this is what we can do. This is what we think you deserve, but this is what we can do. Then I think you need to give your pastor a whole lot of freedom to do whatever he has to do to make ends meet. And you need to adjust your expectations for him. You know, you can't expect him to always be available to come alongside you when you want him to come along. First of all, a pastor can always come alongside everybody when they want him to, okay? Uh, it's kind of hard to do that. But you have to adjust your expectations based upon does he have to work another job in order to make ends meet? And I just think you have to, you have to love him, you have to support him, you have to find other ways to, to, to support your pastor and to respect him. Um, churches should fairly compensate ministers of the gospel But I think also pastors need to be willing to set aside our rights to promote, um, um, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, Uh, that the the advancement of the gospel sometimes requires sacrifice from pastors. Okay? It's just the way it is. When Paul would ever, when he would go into a new community and he had started a church, he always worked as a tent maker. When Joy and I moved here to Fairfields to, to start Solana Valley Church, it was three years before our church did anything for us financially. Okay? For three years, we didn't receive any kind of a paycheck, any kind of help, financial help from our church. It's just the way it is. When you start a brand new church, you don't want to begin your first Sunday saying, okay, guys, you need to pay me fairly. You don't do that. It was about three years before the church could really begin to help us financially. It was about five years before the church could really take over our full financial support. This is um, not uncommon for church planners. This is not uncommon for startup churches. This is part of the reason in our ministry plan that we as a church invest in other startup churches 
who cannot pay their pastor. So, for example, this year we've been helping out a little bit a pastor of a new church up in Antelope. His name is John Cassidy. And they're doing a great work. They've been able to see a lot of people come to Christ. They baptized a lot of people. A while back we had them over. Joy and I had them over for dinner. Uh, we had uh, the John and his wife and their, their two boys over. And, uh, and what we want to do is we want to invest in pastors who are starting new churches the same way other churches invested in us to help us get started. But bottom line, what we need to be willing to do is we need to be willing to do whatever is necessary. We need to do all that we can to win as many as we can. And where do I see that in the Scriptures? I see it here where Paul says, um, For though I'm free from all, I made myself a servant of all, that I may win more of them. And what Paul says, To the Jews I became like a Jew. To those under the law I became like one under the law. To those outside the law I became like one outside the law, though not myself being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. To those who are weak, I became weak to reach the weak. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. For Paul, ultimately, the gospel was not about a paycheck. Okay? The attitude of the the church in uh, in Corinth was important. It was important not for Paul's provision. It was important for their discipleship, for them to follow Jesus. That ultimately, though, what we want to aim for is we want to aim for doing everything we can to reach every, everyone we can for the sake of Christ. In the close of the chapter, Paul compares following Jesus and living our lives for the sake of the gospel to being like an athlete. And he talks about, and, and real quick, real quick, just so you understand this, uh, uh, most of you guys know about the Olympics, you ever hear of the Olympics? Well, in, in Corinth, in Corinth, the Olympics were very important. But there was another, another game called the Isthmian Games. And so the Isthmian Games were very, very similar to the Olympics. The Olympics happened every four years, and then the Isthmian Games happened every two years. And the Isthmian Games were, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, very similar to what the Olympic Games are in our world today. What it meant was this, is that that just outside of Corinth, at the Isthmus of Corinth, there were people who would gather from all around the ancient world, the Greco-Roman world, athletes, from all parts of the world, and they would come there, and they would wrestle, they would fight, they would race, they would do all these games, and for them, this competition was huge. It was absolutely huge. Not, Not unlike the way we approach sports in our world today. And what Paul talked about is he said, you know, no athlete shows up at the games without having, first of all, entered into very strict discipline. And what Paul says, he says, what he tells them to do is that we need to run to win. We need to run to win Uh, He says, do do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
Paul says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And what Paul was saying is that we need to live our lives. We need to run this race. We need to do everything we can to reach everyone we can. Uh, and, and we need to, 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 um, to exercise self-control in all things in order uh, to run that race in a way that's honoring and glorifying of God. And what God wants for us is he wants us to run to win. He wants us to discipline ourselves so that we are self-controlled in all things. And bottom line, what God really wants is he wants you. He wants you to live your life to win an imperishable prize. That's what he wants. Let's pray. Father, today... Uh, we want to celebrate you. We want to praise and worship you. Uh, and we want to um, express our gratitude to you because of, of, of the gospel. Uh, because of what you've done for us in the gospel. God, we are grateful that in Christ that, that we are a new creation. We are grateful that in Christ there's no condemnation. We are grateful that in Christ nothing and no one can separate us from your love. And God, what we want to do is we want to live for the advancement of the gospel. We want to live, we want to do everything we can uh, to win as many people as we can. That we want to, um, we, we want to live our lives, we want to discipline ourselves, and we want to follow Jesus in a way that we bring honor and glory to you. And I pray this in Christ's name.